because we want what we're singing to make a difference in our life. How many believe this morning that true worship is not just what happens in this place on a Sunday morning, but what happens at your workplace on Monday morning? And what we do in here absolutely should affect how we live out there. For that to happen, your, your head and your heart has to be connected in worship. I want you to think about what we were singing. Don't just sing these songs because you know them, but actually put some thought behind really what we're singing, what we're saying. Do you know that we serve the God who makes seas into highways, bones into armies, graves into gardens? Do you know he is the one who can truly fulfill the desire of your heart? He can truly make a difference on the inside that ultimately makes a difference on the outside. That's what we're singing about. That's who we're singing about today. Don't lose sight of that. Keep that connection with your head and your heart. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that, man, we can come in and have these powerful worship services. What a blessing that truly is. It certainly is um, uplifting for me and encouraging to me, and it just recharges my batteries. Man, I love to be in the presence of God with the people of God, worshiping the Lord. That's an amazing thing. But we need to remember, listen, who we're worshiping, why we are worshiping him, and then let it affect our walk when we go out this place. Each and every time. Let that head and heart connection be there. Thank you, Brother Scotty and worship team. You do a great job as always leading us into the presence of God through praise and worship this morning. What a blessing that truly was. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to John chapter number 9. John chapter 9 is what we're going to look at this morning for just a moment. These first um, 12 verses is really what we'll focus on. Now, we have spent the last month and a half preaching through the I Am statements throughout the book of John. There are several reasons why we're doing that. First and foremost, as your pastor, that's the way I feel the Lord has led me to, to go. I feel that he has led me to preach through these, and, and I'm glad that he has. It's certainly been um, an eye-opening for me in a lot of ways, a blessing for me as I've got into the Word of God myself and seen what's there for me. So that's the first reason. And folks, let, let me say this before I go any further. I desire your prayers. I need your prayers. And, what, and this is what I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray the same thing for me that Paul encouraged the church at Ephesus to pray for him in Ephesians 6.19. He said, pray that utterance might be given, that he might make known boldly the mystery of the gospel. That's my prayer. That's what I want for myself. And that's what I'm asking you to pray for me. So that when we come into a place like this and these corporate worship services like we're having this morning, my prayer is that utterance by the person and power of the Holy Spirit is given to me. He speaks to me and speaks through me so that I might make known boldly the mystery of the gospel, the truth of God's word. See, that's what I need and that's what you need. I've told you before, folks, if you want better preaching, I need better praying. And so I'm praying that God gives me utterance and I'm asking you to do the same thing and that he continues to lead God and direct me as to what he wants for us. That's so very important. So that's the first reason I just felt spirit-led to come and, and preach through the I am statements in the book of John. Number two, Jesus is my favorite subject. I'd rather talk about Jesus than anybody. 
Let me tell you why. Because the Bible says in Acts 4 and 12, there is no other name under heaven whereby men might be saved except the name of Jesus. If you believe it, say amen. The Bible says in the book of Philippians that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Jesus is the one who's made a difference in my life. Jesus has given me peace when I had no peace. Jesus has filled my life with joy, but when I had no joy. Jesus, listen to me now continually walks with me day by day. He walks with me and talks with me a long life's narrow way. Listen, he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is my ever-present help in my time of need. Jesus is real. Jesus holds the preeminence. So I'd rather talk about Jesus than anybody else. That's my favorite subject. He's done for me what I can't, could not, and, 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 and would not do for myself. And so I'm thankful this morning for the opportunity and the privilege of sharing with you who he is according to what he has said. So that's the second reason. My favorite subject is Jesus. I love to, to preach and teach about Jesus. Number three, the Bible says that if Christ be lifted up, he will draw all men into himself. Now I know when the Bible says that in the book of John, he's talking about the literal crucifixion. When Jesus makes that statement, he's going to the cross. He's already on his way to Golgotha. And so he's literally going to be lifted up. And because of his finished work on the cross and through the tomb, listen to me, Jesus now draws all men. Every uh, race, creed, color, and religion upon the face of the earth can come to, say, to the saving knowledge of Christ through the preaching of the gospel. If you believe it, say amen. So I, I understand all that, but I also believe that we should be lifting up Jesus now in every way that we can, and as we do, he is still drawing people to himself. See, I think we ought to lift him up in our worship. How about you? I think we're lifting him up in our preaching. How about you? I think we're lifting him up in our praying. How about you? I think we're lifting him up in every plan, every program that we have in our church and everything we do. Let's lift up Jesus because he's the one who really makes the difference in the hearts and lives of people. He is still drawing men, women, boys, and girls unto himself. So let's keep lifting him up. Let's keep making it all about him. Let's keep honoring and glorifying Jesus. That's why we're going through these. Amen. There's an old song that I used to love that was very popular years ago. And the name of it was Jesus is the Answer. Some of you might remember that. It went something like this. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. I don't know about you, but I know this morning Jesus is the answer. He's the answer for everything man truly needs. And I found that out as we've studied through these I am statements. In John chapter 14, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And so Jesus tells us there, he's the answer for man's lostness. If you're lost and undone, you don't know where to turn or where to go, I'm telling you, the way is found in Jesus. The way to the Father is through the Son. Can you say amen? If you're lost and undone, if you realize you don't have what you need. You lack the purpose in your life that you're looking for. There's something missing and you really don't know what it is. Let me tell you what it is. It's Jesus. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the answer to man's lostness. We found in John chapter 6 where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Now, how many of you believe this morning 
Deep down on the inside of every man, woman, boy, and girl, there's an emptiness. An emptiness that longs to be filled. I think it was originally Leonard Ravenhill who said that um, inside of every man, woman, boy, and girl, there's a Jesus-shaped hole. And the only person who can fill that hole is a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You can try to fill it with everything else the world has to offer. Power, possessions, pills, whatever you can name, whatever you can come up with, a party, uh, personal relationships with other people, you can try to fit it with all these things. But the only thing that will truly bring contentment to your heart, to your life, the only thing that can truly fill up that empty place, place within each and every one of us is the bread of life. It's the bread from heaven. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He's the answer. He's the answer for man's desire. That desire to be filled that comes from deep down on the inside of every one of us. Then we saw in John chapter number 11 that he is the resurrection and the life. He raised up Lazarus after Lazarus had been dead four days. That shows us Jesus is the answer to man's death. He gives life from deadness. If you believe Jesus is the answer this morning, say amen. Well, today we're going to see that Jesus is the answer for man's darkness. And it's our last I am statement that we'll be looking at. We'll be moving on to something else next week. John chapter 9, starting in verse number 1. Listen what the Bible says. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, and uh, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. And as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way therefore and washed and he came seeing. I love this. Now watch what it says in verse 8. The neighbors therefore, and they which before had seen him when he was blind said, Is this not he that sat and begged? Something's different about this guy. He's different after he met Jesus than he was before he met Jesus. And the neighbors took note of it. Now watch what happens. He answered and said, excuse me, verse number nine. Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, how were thine eyes opened? And he answered and said, a man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes. And said unto me, go to, walk, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, watch this now, and I received sight. Then said they unto him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. Let's pray together again. Father, we love you. Bless this preaching of your word. Lord, these people need not hear what I have to say. Lord, we need to hear straight from you today. Holy Spirit, I'm praying that you would again fill me up, pour me out, and use me for your honor and for your glory. I can do nothing without you, but I realize all things are possible through you. So, Lord, have your way and have your will, we pray in this service. In Jesus' name we pray and for your sake. Amen. There's three things that I want us to see this morning. First of all, I want you to see the directing of Jesus. 
Then I want you to see the decision of the man. And then I want us to see the difference in the man. So let's look at, first of all, the directing of Jesus. In the first two verses, something very, um, really puzzling happens here, but maybe not so much when you start to think about it, when we look at our own personal life. John chapter 9, verse 1, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Let's tackle this before we go any further. First of all, I want you to understand and know, just by Jesus performing this miracle, he's fulfilling many, just one of the many prophecies that were made concerning the Messiah throughout the Old Testament. If you go over to the Matthew chapter number 11, I'm not going to ask you to turn there this morning, but brother, if you will, please put this on the screen for me. Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 5. Matthew chapter 11. Verse 5, if you go back and look, you're going to see um, that here in Matthew chapter 11, this is what Jesus says concerning his ministry. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now he's saying this, speaking to John the Baptist, who was then in prison, and Jesus is letting him know that he's exactly who he claimed to be. He is the Messiah. You see, John had went through a tough time. John had started to doubt who the Lord was because John had been put in prison, not for doing something wrong, but for doing something right. He was preaching truth. He was calling sin, sin, calling hell hot, and heaven sure because Jesus saved. I mean, John was preaching the message of the kingdom and it got him landed in prison and ultimately got him beheaded. And so he was started to doubt. He got discouraged sitting there in the prison and he said uh, to his disciples, go and ask the Lord, is he the one I'm supposed to be looking for or do we need to look for another? Jesus said, you go back and tell John, he'll know what I mean by this. The blind are receiving their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now watch Jesus saying this. Jesus is actually making reference to Isaiah 35 and 5 because Isaiah 35 and 5 is a prophecy concerning the coming Messiah. Isaiah said, you'll know the Messiah is on the scene that the, when the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the dear ears of the death shall be unstopped. Jesus was healing blind people, causing deaf ears to be unstopped, causing lame people to walk, raising up dead folks. I mean, he was doing things that only God can do. Now, let me ask you something. Why and how was Jesus doing things only God could do? Because he is God. See, these miracles are his credentials for being exactly whom he claimed to be. He's made the statement, I am, claiming to be the Son of God and God the Son, he said it with his lips and then he proved it with his life. He, he gave the message of him being the son of God, but then he also backed it up with miracles doing what only God can do. Amen? And now this, this uh, blind man receiving his sight, this is a big one. And let me tell you why. Do you know all throughout the Old Testament many people were healed of many different things, but we don't have any record of anybody being blind healed in the Old Testament. Jesus walks up on many blind people throughout his ministry 
and heals them over and over and over and over again. Matter of fact, he heals more blind people than just about um, anything else. I mean, he does an amazing work in that. Why is it? Uh, well, I think, first of all, it's to show that the Messiah has come on the scene, just like we saw in Matthew 11 and Isaiah 35 and 5. But, but also, blindness is a perfect parallel, physically speaking, to our spiritual condition before we meet Christ. Perfect parallel. Only Jesus can bring us out of spiritual blindness. It was only Jesus who brought the healing of blindness on the scene when he came in his earthly ministry. And I think that speaks to it's only Jesus who can bring us from our spiritual blindness and bring us into the light of the, of the, the Lord Jesus Christ through the glorious gospel. Um, now the disciples really missed the point in these first two verses and I want to read this, talk about it for just a moment because I think a lot of times we miss the point. Jesus saw this man, had compassion on him and healed him from his blindness. This man had been born blind. He had never saw the beauty of God's creation. He had never saw his loved one's face. This man had been in total darkness his whole life. Jesus saw what was going on, had compassion on him, and healed him. Now, if we're going to be Christ-like, let me tell you what we've got to do. We've got to show compassion as well. Compassion, my favorite definition of it is this. It's love in action. Amen? If we're really going to be what the Lord wants us to be, if we're really going to be pleasing unto him and be Christ-like, listen, it's up to us to see needs and then do what we can to meet those needs. And you're going to see needs everywhere you go. You're going to see needs at your workplace. You're going to see needs in your church. You're going to see needs at the ball game. You're going to see needs at your school. You're going to see needs everybody. See, listen to me. Now, needs look different for everybody. Do you know that? Yeah, some people may need their, their need for hungry bellies met. You may need to feed the hungry. That may be the case. But you know what else? Somebody, listen to me, young people, at your school, maybe they just need a friend to talk to. Maybe they need an ear that'll listen. Listen to me, folks. Some people need a shoulder to cry on. Some people need a friend who have no friends. Be that person, see the need, and meet the need. Show some compassion. Now the disciples looked at Jesus he saw compassion, saw the need. He had compassion, saw the need, met the need. The disciples, on the other hand, listen, they wanted to have a theological discussion. Let me read to you something Dr. Warren Wiersbe said concerning this verse. I love it. He said, the disciples did not look at this man as an object of mercy, but rather as a subject for a theological discussion. That's good. You know what? I think sometimes we might do the same thing. You see somebody who has needs, whatever they might be, and I've heard this time and time and time again. Well, I'll tell you what, Brother Israel, God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that? You know, that sounds really good. 
Let me tell you the only problem with it. It's not in the Bible. Do you know that? That's not biblical. That's nowhere in the word of God. Now the Bible does say if a man don't work, he don't eat. The Bible does say that we should consider the ant just like the ant prepares for the winter and stocks up his food and builds his house. We ought to do the same thing. It does say that, but it never says God only helps those who help themselves. If that's the case, we're all in bad shape. Because the truth is, none of us can really help ourselves. Romans chapter 3 and verse number 10 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. I can't help myself by trying to be, do the right thing and be good. Matter of fact, before I met Jesus, I wasn't trying to, 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 to seek for him, to search for him, to follow him. The Bible, if you go on in Romans, you'll see that. It, nobody was. Let's go on to verse number 11. Watch this. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeks after God. Nobody's really wanting to help themselves. Are you seeing it? Verse 13. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Their tongues they have used for deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. Verse 14, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Verse 15, watch this. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the lost condition of us all pre-Jesus. We weren't trying to help ourselves. It's only by the grace of God and the mercy of God that we've been helped. It's only because he loved us and showed compassion to us. We wasn't seeking after God. God came seeking for us. He came looking for me. He left the 99 for one little lost lamb and here I am. That's me and that's you. So God always helps those who can't help themselves. Amen? It's amazing. But the disciples, rather than seeing them as an object of mercy, wanted to have a theological discussion. I like that. Let me read what else he said to you. Watch this. He says, It's easier to discuss an abstract subject like sin than it is to minister to a concrete need in the life of the person. Man, that's so real. That's so true. It's real easy to sit in our holy huddles and talk about all these different concepts. Let me tell you when it gets real. When it can get challenging. When it can get a little bit dirty. When we start actually meeting the needs of people who have needs. It's easy to talk about it. Amen? It's easy to discuss what God says about it. And that's not wrong. We need to do that and we should do that. But let me tell you something. There comes a time when you've got to put some feet behind your prayers and you've got to get out and do what the Lord has saved us to do, which is have compassion on others. Seeing needs and meeting needs. That's where the disciples were missing it. And I think that's exactly what happens to us from time to time. Sometimes we miss it. Jesus would not only fixing to give some direction to this blind man, but he's giving direction to his disciples on how to 
meet people where they are, on how to love people like he loves them. Look at verse number three. Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents that the works of God should be manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Now look at the direction he gives to um, the blind man here. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Now, why is this so important for me and for you? Because without Jesus, we're all still blind and in darkness. Let me give you a scripture for that. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 and verse number 4. Brother, if you will, please put that on the screen. 2 Corinthians 4, verse number 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Let me tell you why lost people just keep acting like lost people. Even though you may be preaching truth to them. Even though you may be sharing with them what they need to do and what God says they should do and how God says they should trust in him. You, you keep sharing all of that. Let me tell you why a lot of times it falls on deaf ears. It falls on deaf ears because they've got blinded eyes. And the Bible says, the God of this world, little g, has done his work in blinding the minds of those who will not believe. I, I, as a pastor, I've seen this so many times. Man, you can preach until you're blue in the face. I'm talking about giving the gospel to people and, and, and doing um, all that you know to do according to the truth of the word of God and power of the Holy Spirit to, to bring the light of the gospel into people's lives. And it's almost like then all of a sudden a light bulb will come on. i never forget, years ago I was preaching in church and man, I had preached um, the, the gospel, like I said, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the word of God, to, to the best of my ability, you know, that may not be much, but I was, I, I, take, I take what God's given me seriously and I realize the responsibility I have and I was doing all I could to preach the truth and for two years I did that, preaching the truth, preaching the truth, preaching the truth and then we had a revival service and, and listen, let me, let me tell you what happened. Our young adult Sunday school teacher got saved. I'll never forget that. And I thought, this brother has been under the preaching of the gospel. I know for two years, he had been a young, young adult Sunday school teacher for the last 10 years. And then all of a sudden, it clicks and he trusts in the Lord in a revival service. How does that happen? I'll tell you how that happens. God shines his light in the darkness of that person's soul. And they begin to realize how much they need Jesus. I've seen it happen so many times. I am confident that until God does that, a person can't come to saving faith. A man, woman, boy, or girl cannot be saved until they realize their need for a Savior. And that's the work the Holy Spirit does by opening blinded eyes, by calling people in the dark to the light. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9, watch this. 
1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath, watched now, called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Who calls us out of the darkness? He does. Who makes our need for him known? He does. Who draws us unto himself? He does. Listen to me, folks. If there's a prayer we need to be praying for lost people, it's this. I'm praying that God, the Holy Spirit, begins convicting their heart like he once convicted mine. Showing them their need for a Savior. You say, brother, should we preach the gospel? Absolutely, we preach the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of the Lord. Listen, the preaching of the gospel coupled with the work of the Holy Spirit is still what's changing hearts and changing lives. But I'm telling you, until God shines light into that dark soul, it can't be done. We're all spiritually in darkness, blind to the things of God, pre-Jesus. I am so thankful that I've been called out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. If he can do it for me, he can do it for everybody who'll trust in him. Amen? This is the message that we must preach. He is able. Go back to John chapter 9 with me. Not only do I want you to see the direction of Jesus, the directing that he, that he gives there to not only his disciples but to this blind man. But also I want you to see the decision the blind man makes. John chapter number 9. Verse number 6. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation wash, or sent. And he went his way therefore and washed. And watch what the Bible says. He came seeing. Let me ask you a question. Is this the only way Jesus heals blindness in the New Testament? No. He heals many different ways. If you remember, he just spoke to blind Bartimaeus. And blind Bartimaeus received his sight. There's other instances of Jesus putting his hands on the people and bringing healing to blinded eyes, deaf ears, whatever. But here in John 9, he spits on the ground, makes clay of the spittle, anoints the man's eyes with the clay that he had made and tells him to go wash. Why? I don't know. You know, sometimes it's okay to say you don't know. I don't know. Why didn't he just speak to him? Even though I don't know why Jesus did it like he did it, I'm thankful he did it. Amen? Now listen to me. It does teach me about how the Lord operates to some degree. Do you know that all of us come to the Lord the same way. All of us come by grace through faith. But the circumstances the Lord uses to get us to that place are different in every occasion. 
I know of some people who've been saved in churches. I know of some people. I know of a man who got saved by his tractor while he was bush hogging. I know of a man who got saved riding down the road when the Lord brought conviction to his heart while listening to Turning Point Radio. I heard the testimony the other day of a young man who accepted Christ in school in history class when a friend of his shared his faith with him. Different circumstances of us getting to that place all of us were saved by the power of God when we place faith in the Lord. That's true in the spiritual sense. God may use different circumstances to get us to that place, but it's he that saves us by his power. But it's also true in physical healing. How many of you believe that Jesus is still in the healing business? How many of y'all think we ought to keep praying for people to be healed? Yes, God has not changed. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. The same Jesus who healed blinded eyes and deaf ears and lame legs and raised up dead people on the pages of scriptures in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the same Jesus we have today seated at the right hand of the Father. He ever makes intercession for you and for me, the Bible says. He's still able to bring healing and he does it in many different ways. Hadn't you saw that? The process may look different for different people. I've heard testimony right here in this body of believers of people who have prayed for cancer to be healed and it be gone without any explanation the doctor can give you as to why it's not there anymore. Well, I'll tell you what I believe. I believe Jesus did the work that only he could do by the prayers of God's people. When you choose to pray, the power of God is released upon your situation. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, James 5, 16. So we ought to keep praying. James 4 and 2 says, we have not because we ask not. So sometimes we pray and God says, okay, it's done. Sometimes... God uses a different method of healing just like he did in the scriptures. He can use doctors and nurses. Praise God. Is he not still doing the healing? Sure he is. I'm thankful for those who've given their life to that field so that God can use him, use them as his hands and feet in the healing business. That's great. That's wonderful. Different methods, same master. It's true spiritually. It's certainly true physically. Now let me ask you this though. Do you think the blind man in this scripture in John chapter 9 would have ever been healed if he didn't go wash? There had to be a decision made. There had to be a decision made for this man to say, I trust you, Lord. I'm going to do what you say. Now this is what my prayer is this morning. I'm praying, and I've been praying all week, that God is bringing somebody in this service to the time of decision. To the time when you've got to do business with the Lord. I've been praying that God the Holy Spirit would be convicting somebody's heart so that you come to the place where you're going to trust in who Jesus is because that's the place this man had to come to. 
It brought physical healing and, yes, spiritual healing as well to him. See, that's the real miracle. It's not that Jesus opened the man's eyes. That's great. That's wonderful. But the real miracle here is that the man opened his heart to Jesus. He's changed forever for an eternity. That's the miracle I want to see take place today. And I'm praying that God is bringing you to that place of the decision. This man had to make a decision. You say, well, brothers, what are we required to do to be born again? I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. You know you don't have to do one thing to be born again. All the work's been done. All God requires of you to do is trust in His finished work through His Son, Jesus. That's why the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever what? Trust in the finished work of Christ. Whosoever trusts, believes in Jesus shall not perish but have everlasting life. You got to trust in Him. You got to come to the place where you realize it was for your sin that He died. You got to come to the place where you want to give your life to Him so that He becomes your Lord, your Savior, your repentant from your old ways. And walking now in the newness of life by the power of God. Amen? Place of decision. This man came to that place and made the right decision. I'm hoping and praying that you do too. Then you need to see the next part. Not only do you need to see the directing of Jesus, the decision of the man, but also see the difference that Jesus makes. I've already said this a minute ago, so I just want to quickly tell you, everybody else seen the difference Jesus had made in that man's life. Would you agree? If you say you've trusted in Christ and you've been born again, your sins have been forgiven, and now he's your Lord and your Savior. If you, if you claim that, and there's never been any change and how you operate, how you live, the decision choices that you make, then you can't say you've truly been born again. You say, no, brother, wait just a minute. How do you know that? You don't know my heart. You don't know. I know what God's word says. And it says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Now, I understand and realize that we probably don't have a lot of axe murderers in this service this morning. Probably don't have any, got any bank robbers. Anybody ever robbed a bank? Anybody on the 10 most wanted list? See, and that's how we sometimes characterize the big sins. That, you know that's a big sinner because they've done all that. We're all sinners. Every one of us. We all stand in need of a Savior. You may have never robbed a bank, but I'll tell you what happened to me when I trusted in Jesus. I'd never robbed a bank, and the Lord didn't have to take care of that, but let me tell you what he did do. He gave me peace in my soul that I didn't have. There's a big change there. Peace for living and peace for dying. He gave me joy unspeakable and full of glory. He gave me a desire to please him in my day-to-day -day living. 
He gave me a desire and a hunger for the word of God that I didn't used to have. He gave me a desire to be a part of the work of God that I didn't used to have. See, before I truly got saved, folks, I'd do anything I could to get out of church anytime I'd get out of it. I wanted nothing to do with it. But man, when the Lord saved me, when I got real with him and he got real with me, I now have a desire for the things of God. I may get tired in the work, but I'm going to tell you this. I don't get tired of the work. Listen to me, folks. There needs to be a change. There needs to be a difference. Stephen Curtis Chapman says it like this. What about the change? What about the difference? What about grace? What about forgiveness? Is your life showing that you are undergoing the change? Is it? Is it? Only you can answer that. If you're not sure, why not get sure today? Why not come to the place of decision today and let Jesus do what only he can do in your heart and life? It's amazing to me the progression of this man. They first asked him, who healed you? And he said, a man named Jesus. A little bit later, the religious leaders come and they say, who healed you? And he said, a prophet. A little bit later, they, they come and they say, who healed you? And he said, a man of God. And then last, in verses 35 through 41, he sees Jesus for truly who he is, the Son of God and God the Son. Who healed you? The Son of God. God the Son. He's the one who made the difference. And I'm telling you this. He's the one who made the difference in my life. And he can do the same for you as well. Are you hearing me? This man's eyes were opened. But the main miracle that we don't need to miss is that he opened his heart to Christ. He trusted in who Jesus was. And I'm asking you, to trust in who Jesus is today. If you've not yet made that decision, today is a day of salvation. I'm praying that blinded eyes be opened right here this morning. Brother, come on up. Let me pray for you in this time of invitation. Lord, only you can open blinded eyes. Only you can knock the scales off so that people can understand and see the truth. I'm praying today that you do the work only you can do. That if there be one here that needs to be saved today, that needs to trust in you, today would be the day of salvation. In Christ's name we pray.